0: and your love for others would be seen and heard. Good morning, take your Bibles please and let's turn to 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. I wanna ask you a very personal question, is that okay? You sure? Who are you? Who are you? What I mean by that is how would you identify yourself? If someone asked you this morning to uh, write out a biographical sketch of yourself in 78 words or less, what would you include in that biographical sketch? Some of you, hi guys. You have to understand these guys are in my community group and I asked them to pray for me this morning that I would be able to land the plane so that's why that's why my dear friend he used to be my friend uh, wore his helmet and goggles and uh, they I thought they were joking when they said they were gonna do this okay I really thought they were joking. So if those guys were doing a biographical sketch, I know what I would write about them. Okay, I know what I would write about them. But let's just imagine, you're writing this biographical sketch of yourself and you would probably include your education. You would include some of your strengths, qualities, uh, gifts that you believe you have. You would no doubt have uh, what you enjoy doing. You would list some of the jobs that you've had. And since we're all adult, mostly adults here this morning, you would be writing about uh, what you, what your life has been up to this point. But now I want to stop and I want to change the entire paradigm. I want to change the time frame. Now I would like you to identify yourself as a 15 year old. For me, that's going back 55 years to when I was a freshman at Mansfield Senior High School up in Northern Ohio, and I'm not sure I can even remember back that far. But what would you say about yourself when you were a 15 year old? My resume would be very brief because obviously I had no high school diploma. I have probably, I wouldn't be able at that age to identify what my strengths are, what my qualities, my gifts are. I would have had few jobs by then So my bio would be very short. Why did I choose 15 years old? This morning as we open up 1 Samuel 16, we are introduced to a very famous Old Testament person, but someone that we are first hearing about in this chapter. We don't hear about him until 1 Samuel 16, and that is a young man named David. Many Bible scholars believe that when we first meet this man after God's own heart, he was about 15 years old here in this chapter. Now, let's not get ahead of ourselves because some of you are already jumping ahead to you know when he was a king and when all the other things that David is noted for. We want to stop, we want to take a picture right here at this age. And we have a 78-word description of David here. And remember, this is before all of those amazing feats that he's noted for. This, this biography here in verse 16 is before Goliath. This is before his repeated um, moments of sparing Saul's life as he did. This is before he officially became king. This is before he captured Jerusalem and moved uh, the Ark of the Covenant there. This is before the eternal covenant that God made with David, before any of those historic moments, we have him introduced to us here when he was only 15 years old. And yet his identity is already amazing. At least to me, as I read this chapter, his reputation as a young man is something I want us to look at this morning. So I think it's only fitting that I ask my 15 year old grandson to come and read our scripture for us this morning. Peyton, would you come? First Samuel 16, that green light's on. Are we good?
1: Okay. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a name named Jesse who lives there. For I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel said, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a, take a heifer with you, and the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling toward to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves. And come with me to the sacrifice. And Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons. And invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one, of, one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height. For I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. And Jesse told his sons Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, This is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next Jesse summoned Shemia or Shemiah. But Samuel said, Neither is the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied. But he's out in the field watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil. He had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord had sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Some of Saul's servants said to him, "A tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music, and he will soon be well again. All right, Saul said, Find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of his servants said to Saul, One of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He is also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, Send your son David to shepherd. Jesse responded by sending David to Saul, along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread, and a wineskin full of wine. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, asking, Please let David remain in my service, for I am very pleased with him. Whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away.
0: Would you stand with me as we pray and and just commit this passage to the Lord? I want us to focus this morning on David's identity and your identity. We see David here identified even as a young man, but I really want all of us to think about what is my identity. As a child of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being introduced to a a, a person that we are all familiar with. Any one of us who read through your word, we understand what an important man of God David was. But Lord, we get a picture of him here as a very young man. And we see qualities that you had already given him. And then on top of that, Lord, he was anointed and the Holy Spirit came upon this man from this day onward, the scripture says. So Lord, we we get a sense of his identity, but I'm asking you this morning, Lord, to search each of our hearts and help us to think about who we are as a child of God, who we are as followers of Jesus who you have made us, what your word says about who we are. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak by the power of your spirit. When we leave this place, Lord, we would be be crying out to you to make that identity clearer and clearer, Lord. We want to live each day out of who we are in Christ. So we thank you for speaking. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So last week we concluded with Samuel mourning over God's rejecting Saul, right? It's interesting as we open up the 16th chapter, the Lord basically says to Samuel, enough, no more mourning about Saul. It's time to go anoint the new king of Israel. And so Samuel gets ready to go. And even though he's a little concerned about Saul's reaction, what does he say here? He's going to kill me if he finds out what I'm doing. And yet he obeys God. So with oil in hand, Samuel makes his way to Bethlehem to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the new king. The scripture seems to indicate that all seven of Jesse's sons who were present there lined up in front of Samuel. And Samuel does exactly what you and I would have done in that moment, right? He begins to size them up. He begins to look at their characteristics. And he, he begins to say, well, the, this guy's probably the most likely to be the new king. And this guy over here is the least likely to be the new king. And he settled on the son we the scripture uh, points out as Eliab. Probably the oldest, may have been the tallest. But then the prophet learned one of the great spiritual lessons of all time. Verse 7 is so key. God said to the prophet, don't judge people by their appearance or height. Has anyone here ever done that? You ever judge someone by their appearance? It is human nature, isn't it? We all do it before we ever get a chance to meet someone or talk to them or find out about them. Many times we've already sized them up. God says to the prophet, don't judge people by their appearance or height. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, I don't believe that verse seven is just a proverb for the day, for Samuel. Samuel, this is a nice little saying you might take with you. You might tuck it away somewhere, you know, in in, in your Bible and take it with you. This is a life principle that you and I desperately need in 2023. We really do. Stop and think about it. What would happen if we took this truth in verse seven and we applied it to our lives? If we really believed it, and we said, Lord, I'm going to live by this. Would this truth change the way we determine who we're going to trust and who we might avoid? It would, it would change everything in our, in our human relationships. Because if we really believe that God knows everybody's heart, do I know that person's heart? No. Do you know that person's heart? No. But God does. And if we believe that, we would be trusting him. To guide us in the especially the significant relationships in our lives, we would be saying, Lord, lead me. Help me to see what you don't or what you see that I don't see. God made it clear to Samuel that none of those young men standing there were his choice. So Jesse informs him, Well, I have one more son. He's out in the field taking care of the sheep and the goats. And the moment this young man came in. What did God say to Samuel? God said, he's the one. When David showed up, God said, yes, this is the one you are to anoint. So I want to pull out of this chapter the early biography of David, this 15-year-old future king of Israel. I want you to see what the scripture is already saying about him. And even before David is introduced in this chapter, you may remember back in chapter 13. Was that last fall, I think? Were we in 13 last fall? So it's been a few months. But back in chapter 13, God, or I'm sorry, Samuel said to Saul, but now your kingdom must end for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Who's that? Before we even know his name, God is referring to this man that we're introduced to in chapter 16. And it's interesting that when Paul recounts Israel's history in Acts 13, he includes what God said of David. Acts 13, God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. I don't know if there could be a higher praise that a human being could have than for me to be known or for you to be known after a man or woman, after God's own heart. But there's another interesting reference to David before we get to chapter 16. Last week in verse 28 of chapter 15, there's another reference where uh, Samuel told Saul that the Lord had given the kingdom, kingdom of Israel to someone else, one who is better than you. Again, that's David before we even have his name. So we would all agree David's biography is off to a pretty good start, even before we know who it is. And I believe as Jesse saw those sons initially, their birth order was probably confusing him, right? When he first sees them and begins to size it up, he didn't know. David wasn't even present. He was the youngest. He was, he was not there at the moment. And look at verse 5. When the, the prophet invites Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice, David's left out. He's overlooked. It kind of reminds me of what jesus said in matthew 20 you remember that famous phrase our lord said the last shall be first and the first shall be last and it just kind of reminds me of this passage david wasn't even a thought that they had he was out there in the fields so how did david come to everyone's uh, uh, everyone's attention how did he come sort of front and center I'm not even sure it was when he was anointed in verse 13. I want to skip down to verse verse 13 where he was anointed, but I want to go to verse 14 now because David's prominence really started with the problem Saul had. What was that problem? The Bible says in verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. That's bad enough, isn't it? Do you remember Psalm 51 Last week we talked about repentance and that is truly one of the great prayers of repentance in all of scripture where David is crying out to God to forgive him for his sin. And if you remember in that psalm, David, one of the things David says, God, do not take your spirit from me. That's the worst thing that David could imagine is to have the Holy Spirit removed from his life. And yet that's exactly what is happening here to Saul. The spirit of the Lord had left Saul Let's go on. And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. This verse has generated much discussion, obviously. When you read verse 14, you and I want to say that's impossible. How could that happen? How could God send a tormenting spirit? He's a holy God. Habakkuk, for instance, Habakkuk wrote that uh, the prophet said of God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. In the New Testament, James wrote, God is never tempted to do wrong and he can never tempt anyone else. So we can't imagine God sending this tormenting spirit upon Saul to trouble him. Well, uh, Pastor Mike and I talked about this verse a couple weeks ago. And I would love to just skip over verse 14. But I do want to say a couple things about it. Because it's it's one of those verses that it's kind of confusing to us sometimes. I want to say two things. Number one. God is sovereign over all. He is sovereign over the physical universe. He is sovereign over the spiritual realm. Over all. And we see that in Mark chapter 5. Two weeks ago. Remember our guest speaker that was here. And he talked about this. Gadarene demoniac, this man filled with evil spirits. Jesus came on the scene and he told those evil spirits, Come out of him. And what did they do? They had to obey. Why is that? Because our God has all power in heaven and on earth. There is nothing that is not under his control. They had to obey and they came out. But I want to remind you of something else as well here in verse 14 anyone without the spirit of God is vulnerable. Anyone without the spirit of God is at least open to the realm of of the demonic and to these evil spirits. And so you see, uh, Saul was now, the, the spirit had left him, the spirit of God had left him, and he was vulnerable. In other words, God had withdrawn his protection from Saul and the way I can best understand this is that God allowed that spirit to torment Saul. Well, because he was so troubled, his servants suggested, why don't we get someone, a musician, to come and play music? And while that music is being played, perhaps this will soothe you and, and, and it will uh, help you to get, have relief from this spirit. And that's why one of Saul's servants steps forward. And he says, by the way, I know a guy. Now, he didn't say that exactly, but in our culture, that phrase is, is often used. I know a guy. What does it mean? It means I have connections and I can kind of hook you up with somebody who you need uh, a certain job done. Someone with, that, uh, with expertise in that particular field. And so Saul's servant knew of a talented harp player from Bethlehem. David met the first qualification But as we see in verse 18, he was much more than simply a musician. Don't forget again, David is probably about 15 years old here. And these qualities that he had, these are long before the amazing accomplishments we read about in in much of the rest of the Old Testament. So at 15, look at verse 18 with me. The servant says, he's not only a musician, he's a brave warrior and a man of war. How in the world does a young man like that get that reputation? First of all, uh, I believe it goes to David's courage, even as a shepherd, flip over to chapter 17 for just a moment. And let's look at verses 34 to uh, 36, chapter 17, verse 34, David is, is, uh, standing before Saul and he says to Saul, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats When a lion or bear comes in to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this with both lions and bears. And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. This was one brave 15-year-old. And when, when when the servant says he's already a brave warrior, man of war, that was part of it. But I also think there was a prophetic element here. I think that servant was saying he is going to be a great warrior, which of course he was. Then he describes him as a man with good judgment. Now, this phrase in Hebrew literally means wise with words. He was already uh, a skillful speaker. He didn't just mouth off. (laughs) When David spoke, people would tend to listen because he had something to say. And again, look at the next description. This goes back to verse 12, of course. He's a fine-looking young man. He's handsome. You can can't you can't, notice, you can't help but notice him when he walks by. But the most fascinating thing to me and the most distinguishing feature of David is that last phrase in verse 18, "The Lord is with him." The Lord is with him. As a 15-year-old David was clearly set apart from all of his peers. He definitely, you know, was was uh would have stood out and they would have said, you mentioned David. Oh yes, I know that kid. I know who he is. He was obviously mature beyond years. He was skilled, a skilled musician, had the makings of a brave warrior. He was well-spoken. He was handsome. Plus, as God told Samuel back in chapter 13, he's a man after God's own heart. Think back to the way you might have described yourself as a 15 year old. We talked about that a few minutes ago. How would you des- how would you have described yourself? Well, I'll tell you. When I was 15, this was nowhere near any anything close to the way I was uh, living or how I was gifted. But this is the main point this morning. This is what I really want you to understand. None of these wonderful qualities, none of these characteristics that we see in verse 18 specifically, and elsewhere uh, in Scripture. None of these things, are his, identity. his identity is the fact that he was filled with the spirit of the living God. That's what made David who he was. That's what set David apart. So let's go back to verse 13 now. I want to I wanna drill down just a little bit on this passage. Uh, let me... Quickly review those first 13 verses so that we bring bring everyone up to speed. God had rejected uh, Saul as king, of course. So Samuel sent to Bethlehem to anoint one of the sons of Jesse. When he arrives, he announces to everyone, I've come here to have a sacrifice. And so he invites Jesse and his sons. And Samuel knew that he was sent to anoint one of those boys. And yet the new king wasn't even present when Samuel shows up. Jesse calls him in from the fields. And the moment David arrived, what did God say? He's the one. This is the one you're to anoint. And as you look at verse 13 with me, it says David stood there among his brothers. Now, do you think they were shocked? I am confident. They were like, what the heck? He's the baby kid. He's the kid brother. He's the youngest of all of us. What is he doing being honored by the prophet Samuel? Why is he being anointed? And and I know for sure that David was blown away when Samuel took that olive oil and poured it over his head and anointed him. You know what interests me as well? It doesn't say that that, that Samuel said anything here. It doesn't record anything. I mean, I, I, I can only imagine I would have made a big speech. You know, I'm anointing the new king of Israel. No record of anything that he said. And I wonder, did David understand at this moment what this act meant? I don't think he did. I really don't. He's 15 years old. And get this. It would be probably about 15 years before he would actually become king of Israel. Between this moment and when he would be crowned. And that's recorded in 2 Samuel 5, 3. When he was anointed again as the king over all Israel. 15 years would pass. And yet, get this. Something did happen at this very moment in verse 13. That would change David's life forever. We read in this verse. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that time on. You say, how do we know that? How do we know for sure that the spirit of the Lord came on him? Is there any evidence? Well, I'll give you one immediate evidence in this chapter that David is filled and empowered by the spirit. We've already listed the special abilities God had given him. Musician, brave warrior, gifted speaker. But listen, none of those gifts, none of those talents would equip him for his first assignment because what's about to happen? David is going to be sent to minister to Saul and he is going to confront an evil spirit. And nothing that David had done prior to this would prepare him for that. You've probably heard the phrase, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. If David had gone to confront Saul, or not to confront Saul, to, to minister to Saul, if he had gone without the spirit of God, he would be bringing a knife to a gunfight. He was no match for that evil spirit. He, he, was, he was no, uh, in no way was he going to confront that spirit alone. But David was not alone. I can just picture verse 23. When he played his harp for Saul, the spirit of the Lord drove that evil spirit away. The spirit of the Lord soothed Saul. The spirit of the Lord made him feel better. And next Sunday, we're going to see another evidence that the power of God had come upon David's life. One of the best known stories in all the Bible. And I won't steal all your thunder there, Pastor Mike, with chapter 17. But again, I would argue all of David's gifts, all the abilities, all the things we've noticed here in chapter 16 did not prepare him for that encounter in chapter 17. The courage that a 15-year-old shepherd boy would need came from the living God. It came from the power and infilling of the Holy Spirit. So what was David's true identity? What was it? His identity was not even mentioned by Saul's servant in verse 18. Until he got to that last part, the Lord is with him. But what marked David, get this, even as a young man, the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. Now, I want to go back to the beginning of this message. And I want to ask you again, how would you identify yourself? What sets you apart? What makes you unique? In other words, what is your identity? Can I tell you just for a moment about my identity issues? Years ago, the Lord began to reveal to me a sinful pattern in my life. And I would simply call it Comparing and competing syndrome. That's just—I don't know if that's a true, you know, diagnosis or anything. But that was my problem. It really was. And the Lord began to reveal this as a pastor. and, And I think that this is true of probably a lot of pastors. As a pastor, I would compare myself and my ministry to other pastors that I knew. Now, let me ask you: If you have ever gotten into this comparison game, comparing yourself with other people, do you usually win or do you lose? I don't know about you, but about 99% of the time I came up on the short end. Because as I compared myself and my ministry, I, I noticed these other patter, pastors, they were better preachers. They were better counselors. They were better administrators. They were better anything, you know, m- no matter what I would measure myself against them, they would always be better. And then what would happen? What is the next step? after you compare and you kind of come up short, then you start competing. And they never knew about it, but in my own heart, it was like, well, I've got to be at least as good as them, or maybe I need to be better than they are in this vicious cycle. I got to tell you, it is always a lose, lose situation. It's lose, lose all the way around. And I don't know if any of you can identify with what I was going through, and what I've been through, what's been a real tendency. But then a few years ago, God led Susie and me to a conference called Soul Care. And from that conference and from reading uh, the book by the the author, uh, Rob Reamer, God began to further reveal to me that my identity was tied to all the wrong things. My identity, how I saw myself as a man, as a pastor, as a man of God, that identity was tied to all the wrong things. And I'm here to tell you that there is freedom and there is joy when we begin to operate out of who we are in Christ. When we begin to operate out of our true identity as followers of Jesus, everything changes. And, and I need to understand who God says I am not who others say i am or who even in my own mind i think i should be who does god say i am i need to live out of that identity in christ and so regardless of what anybody has said of you or thought about you or uh, whether that's good or bad either way if you're a follower of jesus today i want to just remind you as we close this message of what God says about you and me. And I want to just mention three unique facts about our identity according to God's word. First of all, as we've seen with David, David was anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit in 1 Samuel 16. That was what identified him. That was his identity. And 1 John 2 27 says this, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. The truth is, you and I have been anointed by the Spirit of God. If we belong to Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come to indwell us. One factor of my identity and your identity is that I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's what God's Word says. I need to understand that, and I need to remind myself of that, and I need to live that out. Let me mention another one. Part of my identity... And this is seen over and over, especially in Paul's epistles. In fact, over 160 times, Paul refers to believers, followers of Jesus, as being in Christ. Over and over and over again. Uh, For Ephesians chapter 1, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. We are in Christ. As a follower of Jesus, that is my identity. I am in him and he is in me. By his precious Holy Spirit. So I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I am in Christ. But the one I really want to focus on and leave you with today is one that we see again throughout the scripture, especially throughout the New Testament. I am his beloved. you ever thought of yourself that way? Have you ever reminded yourself, I am his beloved? You know, John referred to himself in the gospel account. I don't know if you've ever noticed that in John's account, he says he was the disciple, what that Jesus loved. What are the other disciples felt about that? You know, the other guys, he called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. We know that Jesus loved all the rest of them. Even Judas, he loved all of them and he loves us. But the scripture says, I love this in Colossians three. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, the holy people he loves, clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Why do we want to be clothed with those things? Because he loves me. I'm his beloved. John wrote, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. This morning we've taken the bread and the cup What does this say to us? If this says nothing more to you and me, it's that he loves me. He loved me then. He loves me now. And nothing I can do can change that. Nothing I can do or not do can change his love for you and me. My identity is that I am his beloved. This is Valentine's week, of course, Tuesday. Yes, guess, and so this is the week when everybody gives the cards and the flowers and the chocolate and whatever, okay? And this is the week. Somebody is my valentine. Is there any greater true valentine than to know that my Father in heaven, my Savior, the Holy Spirit loves me I am his beloved. And I'm so aware in my own life, this is a point of identity that I need to understand more clearly. I need to be aware of every single day. Why do I serve him? Because he loves me. Why do I love him? Because he loved me first. Why do I do whatever I do? It's because he loves me. And we can get caught up in this duty thing. We can get caught up in, I just have to obey him because he did this for me and I've got to obey him got to constantly be reminded. I don't know about you, but I need to constantly be reminded that he loves me. I am his beloved. I am his beloved. Would you say that out loud with me? I am his beloved. I need to I need to focus on that in scripture. I need to go back and see that from cover to cover His love for me is throughout the word. Oh, that that would sink in. It saves us from, again, from just living our Christian lives. Because I, you know, I got to do this and I got to do that. And I'm expected. Wait a minute. What's the motivation? It's because he loves me. And I want to do, I want to have a love relationship with Jesus. I want to have a love relationship with Jesus. Would you stand with me? would you bow your head and let's just have a just a couple moments of silent prayer together what an amazing thing regardless of what anyone else thinks of us regardless of what even what we think of ourselves our identity is in what he says my, de- my identity is is what God says about me, what His Word says about me. This morning, to know that yes, I am indwelt by the Spirit, I am, uh, I am His beloved. I am His beloved. Prayer would you just ask the Lord to seal this truth to your heart so that this week you are are dwelling on that fact. And what an interesting week. This is the week we think about Valentine's and love and all the rest of it. but ask the Lord to help you focus on His love for you this week in a fresh and new way, perhaps like you haven't before, and that you would live out of your identity as his beloved. Lord, I don't know how many more ways you could tell us that you love us than the cross itself. But every time we read your word, on every page we see, I love you, I love you, I love you. Help us, Lord God, again, by the power of your spirit to grasp this eternal truth, this life-transforming truth. That this is my identity. Help us to live out of that, Lord. Help us to live, Lord Jesus, out of a love relationship with you. Thank you. Pray this in your holy and precious name.
1: Amen.